morning, Woodland Hills. Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good to see you here this morning. God is great. Would you agree with that? He is indeed. Now, I usually am not up here this soon. We cut our worship set a little bit short, uh, which is why half people are still not here yet. But uh, we're rearranging a a few things because we're going to get into another time of worship later on. Uh, It's also going to be a time of prayer uh, and healing and things like that. So hence the order shift here. My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Wilton Hills Church. And you all are absolutely marvelous and beautiful. And listening to you sing is a joy to my heart. I mean that. That's Love you guys. Um, If you're visiting for the first time, we want to give a special welcome to you. We're really glad that you're here. And if you want to find out more about this church and what we believe and things like that, stop by at the Hub out in the gathering area at the end of the service. And we've got some information and a CD that will give you and let you know kind of what, what's going on around here. Uh, please turn off cell phones, pagers, iPods, Blackberries, Blueberries, Droids, and other things. I'd appreciate that very much. And if anyone with you starts to be a distraction uh, for any reason, uh, we've got a soundproof happy room in the back. Uh, not a crying room, a happy room. And uh, we encourage you to take them back there and you can still be part of the service that way. Just a few announcements and then we're going to get into the uh, teaching for this morning. We're coming upon what they call the season of giving, the holiday season for kingdom people. That's all year long, but in the culture, it's a season of giving. And uh, we always, coming into the, it doesn't feel like Christmas time, with the weather being what it is right now, but um, we always highlight a couple of ministries that are are, uh, uh, addressing issues of poverty and encourage people to give to them. Uh, What we're going to do this year is tell you what those ministries are ahead of time, and you can pick up information about them at the Hub. So that way you can kind of be praying about how you think, how you believe God would would have you give to these various ministries. What happened last year is we highlighted uh, several, and the ones that got highlighted first got a a lot of offering, a lot of contributions. Those who came later, by then everyone was kind of tapped out. So uh, we want you to know ahead of time uh, sort of uh, uh, the opportunities that are there. And uh, that way you can be praying about it. Also, uh, we are this month having Project Home here at the building. We turned the church into uh, sort of a homeless shelter uh, where people can stay at night. And um, we are looking for somebody, a few people, who will uh, stay overnight. We have to have someone or a few people here uh, present uh, throughout the night. And so if you're open to that, please stop at the hub at the end of the service and let them know, and we'll get you plugged into that. You don't need any kind of training. We'll do all of that. We just need you to have a willing heart and be able to, willing to sleep here. Also, starting next week, we're going to be away from Luke here for a while, so that's going to be kind of tough, I know. But we're going to uh, be doing this series that we're calling Undivided, uh, making space for love, how to, how to have a, a focus in our life. It's going to be a powerful, powerful series. And so we're encouraging everybody who doesn't have a small group to uh, sign up for these adventure groups, a temporary small group, and study this material with other folks. Um, as we're going to be hearing throughout this message, uh, the relational God, whose Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created the world in such a way that everything operates better when it's done in relationship with others, when it's done in unity. So we encourage you to plug into one of these groups, and you can sign up for those groups today at the Hub, uh, out in the gathering area. Everything happens at the Hub. And so uh, just know about that. Uh, Otherwise, read the bulletin. uh, Know what's going on around here. A lot of ministry, a lot of ministry opportunities. And if this is your spiritual home, we encourage you to pray over that bulletin and all the things that are there. Or you can get on our website and find out a whole lot of stuff uh, by uh, doing that. We we, we have here at Woodland Hills Church a high priority on corporate worship. On getting together and uh, praising our Lord together. 
praise is where we sing to the Lord. Usually it's more contemplative, meditative, uh, mellow kind of music. We romance the Lord, we sometimes say. And celebration is uh, where we declare truths about God. Uh, and that tends to be a little more rowdy and more celebratory. Both of those are forms of worship. And they have a high priority here within those churches, which is why we come to this topic, take a one or two weeks out every year to remind ourselves on the importance of this and, and how to go about this and, and, and uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, strategy and the theology around it. And that's what I want to do here this morning. And then we're, uh, having done that, we're going to go into an extended time of worship. I'm going to title this message, Worship Like the Ants. Worship Like Ants. That's us. See right there. Yes, we're all just praising God. And you'll see uh, why that's important here in a moment. Pray with me uh, here before we start. Father, I, I just submit my heart to you and my mouth to you. And we submit our minds to you and our hearts to you. And ask God that you would come in all of your power and all of your glory and all of your might. And infuse this message with your authority. And make us one. And uh, God, a, a, a people who understand the nature and the importance of having at the center of our life and the center of our life shared together, uh, worshiping you, celebrating you, romancing you. Be present here. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Let me start this way. Um, I don't go to a lot of ball games. I'm, I'm, I'm not that big of a sports fan. But somebody invited me uh, this last Tuesday to go to the Twins game on Wednesday. So I went to a Twins game. And what was amazing about it was that uh, the crowd, it was, there was such an energy there. I mean, I really wasn't that much in the mood to go to the game, to be honest with you. I was kind of tired, uh, feeling lethargic. I was wondering, why not just stay at home and watch the game on television? You get to see the replays there, the commentator. You know, you get a lot of information there. Uh, and, you know, you don't have to go outside and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the reason that you go to games, I now understand, is because there's something about being in the crowd, in the stadium there, the electricity, the energy. And, and while I was tired when I first went, the minute I got in that stadium, uh, I, I came alive. I, I woke up. Uh, there's just such an energy of the crowd. It's like we were feeding off of one another. And there's just this atmosphere that... Well, for six innings, there was a lot of energy and atmosphere. Uh, those rich kids from New York kind of took it out in the seventh inning. And that was sort of a sad ordeal. Uh, but here's the thing. So there's this energy. There's this spree decor, this atmosphere. Uh, that you're part of this whole thing. And you're thinking right now, I know, uh, what does that have to do with complex adaptive systems and emergent property theory? I got that. I got that. And the analogy isn't perfect, I, I, I'll grant you that, but, but there's a point that to be made here. See, emergent property theory says this. Throughout creation, we find this pattern, it's a very cool theory, that in certain situations, and I, when, when, when groups come together, whether we're talking about molecules or insects or animals or people, when there's a, a certain kind of unity, that group can take on a property that none of the individuals within that group possess. It's an emergent property. That's kind of wired throughout creation that there's a power in unity. And uh, things happen in unity that can't happen individually. And it goes across the spectrum. For example, ants are rather stupid little insects. God bless them, but they're just not very smart. They can do six behaviors. That's all they can do. 
Uh, and yet when they come together, they can create a very complex civilization that operates with a remarkable efficiency. Now, it's not like there's one ant there that's a super genius organizing the crowd. Okay, you go over there, you do this, you know. No, they just, coming together, they're able to do something that they can never do individually. You almost have to think of an ant farm as sort of an individual mind. It's got its own reality. Every ant is sort of like the neurons in your brain. And when they come together, they, a property emergence, an intelligence emerges that none of the individual ants themselves possess. That's emergent property theory. Right. You see this with birds as well. You see it all over the place. But these birds are flying in formations as they're going south. And no one organizes that formation. No one says, okay, you're going to run point or whatever. They just sort of do that. And when they come together and fly like this, they can fly with 71% more efficiency. They can fly faster. Uh, at least geese can fly with 71% efficiency. I don't know what it is with other birds, but they, they can fly faster and longer and far more secure by virtue of the fact that they're in this together. Uh, that's emergent property theory. They're, you almost have to look at a, a, a flock of birds as sort of a giant bird. It's got its own unity. It's its own sort of living thing. And you're wondering, what does this have to do with corporate worship? It has everything to do with corporate worship. One of the things that happens when we come together, when we all have a united heart and a common faith and a common Lord and a common commitment to lift him up, is that there's, there's something that can take place in that environment. This is why we come together on the weekend. This is why we, we encourage worship in, in our small groups. There's something that can happen when folks come together and are united in that way and are lifting up God that, that uh, doesn't happen individually. Now, it's very important to worship the Lord on your own individually, and that's a blessing, but there's a quality, a dimension, a property, a characteristic that happens when we come together and do it as a group that doesn't happen individually. But not only that. It's not just that, that uh, our coming together reflects the, the relational nature of God. That's true of all creation. But the Bible teaches us that God, in a unique way, inhabits the praises of his people. When we are focused and united and committed and lifting him up, there's a presence of God there that is unique. Now, God, of course, is present everywhere. But he's present in a unique, refreshing, transforming, powerful way uh, when the people of God have a common commitment and a common focus. So it says in Psalms, for example, Psalms 100, Come before, talking to the people of Israel, come before or into God's presence with singing. And I'm going to be focusing strictly on singing here this morning, our corporate singing. Worship involves every area of our life, but singing is to play a central role. It did all throughout Scripture and it has throughout history. And when the people of God start singing to the Lord and about the Lord, we are ushered into his presence in a unique way. And then it says in Psalm 22, The Lord is enthroned upon, or it can be translated, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. The concept there is he's the Lord of the praise, and he makes the praise his home. When we praise him, he lives there. He takes up residence there. Praise is his address. And there's a, there's a dimension to his presence that we experience when we are together that we don't get individually. You see this uh, illustrated in the uh, Old Testament when they built the temple. Solomon built this magnificent temple. It was considered the home of God. And, and then they dedicated this temple. And the musicians start playing. And the people start singing and praising him. And the Bible tells us that the Shekinah glory comes down. 
That just means, uh, that, that term there refers to the glory of his presence. The glory of his tabernacling among his people. And the glory came down and filled that temple. And his presence was so powerful. His presence was so tangible, so thick, if you will, that the people could no longer even stand up and knock them down. They, 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 they couldn't go on. The presence was so powerful. That is really our goal when we come together, not to get knocked down, but to experience God's presence in that way. And the way that we do that is through praise and, 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 and celebration. It's by collectively uniting our hearts and minds and, 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 and putting all of our ener- energy into lifting up who he is, singing to him, proclaiming truths about him. He takes up residence there. He lives there. That is the tabernacle. And things can happen when we come together and worship him in that way that doesn't happen in any other kind of a context. This is why this is so important. When we come together, we're not just doing a sing-along. We're coming to encounter the living God. We're coming to come into his presence, to sing our way into his presence. We're coming to invite him to take up residency for this time that we have together so that we can encounter, experience, be transformed by the living God. And so we come back to this uh, frequently to remind ourselves what we're doing here. You, You could download the sermon. Why not just do that? Or you could watch it on television. But why do we come together? It's because something happens when the people of God are together. That doesn't happen in any other way. So we bring this to our attention every year, sometimes for a couple sermons in the year. It's also important to remind ourselves because the idea of singing with other people is really foreign in our culture, or it's becoming increasingly alien, increasingly foreign in our culture. There's no other context where people really do this very much. And so it feels kind of awkward to people. More and more, it feels awkward to sing alongside other people. They can hear you. What if you're not a good singer, you know, and... And, and it's just, it feels kind of strange to folks. Now, it didn't used to be that way. In fact, in most cultures throughout history, singing has been, had a central role in bringing people together, uniting them along uh, the, a, a different age groups. They shared songs in, in traditional uh, people groups. Uh, you sit around the campfire, you tell stories, and you sing. It's always been one of the most powerful ways that cultures and tribes have united. Even in Western culture, up until fairly recently, singing played an important role in uniting people. It's just what we did. People would go to the hub, the hubs. We have a hub. No, they'd go to the pubs. We do not have a pub. But uh, they'd go to pubs, and the main thing they'd do is sing. They'd get out their brew, and they'd sing songs together. That was, you know, just kind of, the, 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 they had shared songs, and they just celebrated together. I've read that, that uh, many folks you know, went through something of a crisis when they would introduce the jukebox into these, these pubs because now people listen to the professionals sing rather than singing themselves. And that's kind of a shift that's happened here. We are used to listening to people sing, but we ourselves don't do a whole lot of singing. Back in the 19th century, it was the latter part of the 19th century, it was common in cities to have barbershop quartets that would just be singing on the corners and people would stop by and sing along with them. That's just what you did when they had block parties. People would sing songs that they shared. Uh, with one another. Common, common songs that, that across age groups people knew. It was common. For example, in the 1890s, everyone was singing Daisy Daisy. Give me an answer, do. I'm half crazy over the love of you. 
It won't be a stylish marriage. I can't afford a carriage. But you'll look sweet upon the seat of a bicycle built for two. <laughs> Excellent. See, okay, a lot of you, especially the, us older folks, know that song. But I guarantee you, if you go to your neighbor's house tonight, you're not, not going to sit around and sing that. <laughs> They used to. They, everyone knew the songs. It, it was a shared thing. Nowadays, the songs hit the pop chart for four weeks, and then it's forgotten. And that's only one age group. We don't have any shared songs anymore, and we don't sing along with one another uh, uh, anymore. And so it feels weird when you come to church and sing with people. It feels kind of awkward. I was at the Twins game on Wednesday during the seventh inning stretch. They sang, take me out to the ball game, take me out to the park, as part of the seventh inning stretch. They played it over the loudspeakers. Dave and I stood up and sang our hearts out. Everyone thought we were idiots. We didn't care. And some others were singing, but it wasn't like a, you know, a, a real big kind of joining in. It was sort of a tentative, take me out to the ball game. But that's an exception. We don't do things like that much anymore. Since the advent of the radio and the television and the computer and the internet, uh, there's other things that occupy our time. Singing is becoming a lost art. Even when I was a kid... Um, and I'm dating myself here, but, but we used to go as a family to Shakey's Pizza on Tanner's Lake, and they had a banjo player, and you'd eat pizza on Friday night, and you'd sing songs. Michael rowed the boat ashore, row, row, row your boat, you know, whatever, and, uh, and people would join in with that. You don't have that going on very much uh, in the culture anymore. Uh, for some of you who are really old, you'll remember Mitch Miller. Tell- remember Mitch Miller? Follow the bouncing ball. By the light, not the dark, but the light of the silvery moon. And we'd, families would sit and watch the sing-along television show, and we'd sing. I had a very dysfunctional family, but we came together on Mitch Miller, and we'd sing along with him. I can't imagine that happening today. You know, a couple sitting on the couch singing songs to a bearded guy on the television with a bouncing ball. See, it, it's becoming lost. And that's why churches, it feels odd when you come together and are singing alongside of people. What we're used to is going to concerts, hearing someone sing to us or play to us, and, and, and we're passive, and maybe at some rock concerts people will sing a little bit, but on the whole, it's a, it's a passive experience. And so churches are starting to follow the culture, and now worship services are becoming more like concerts, where you have the professionals sort of performing, and everybody just does their normal, and they just sort of listen. And, and because that's kind of getting old, and, and churches never could do it as well as the world could do it, uh, you're finding that even the concert kind of worship is becoming less and less, shorter and shorter. I was at a church a couple of years ago where uh, they did one quote-unquote worship song before the, the message, and the worship song was It's My Life by Bon Jovi. <laughs> uh, and they didn't expect people to sing. They did it very well, and it set up the message nice, but... but Worship is sort of disappearing. Praise and celebration is disappearing uh, among the people of God. And that is a tragedy. Because of the culture, we're putting less importance on singing along together. It's disappearing altogether. This is why many folks uh, you know, feel like you can get the gist of a service just by downloading the message. Why bother to go and be part of a congregation when you can just download the sermon? That's like the difference between, it's much worse than, but it's kind of like the, the difference between watching the twins on television or being at the ballpark. Something is, is lost in the translation. I thank God for our pod parishioners and our pod congregation. And on the whole, we have thousands of people around the world. 
And for many of them, there's no churches in their area. And so this is kind of their lifeline. And for others, there are churches in their area, but as I've been told, going there harms their faith more than helps it. And I, I get that. I get that. And so that's understandable. But whatever the reason is, if we don't have space in our life, opportunity in our life, and sometimes I know it's just impossible. Got that. But when we don't have times where we're singing with other believers, uniting our heart with other believers, entering into praise and celebration with other believers, something vitally important to the kingdom gets lost. By God's own design, things, ha- things that, 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 that take place in unity are far, have far more power than when it happens individually, and God inhabits the praises of his people. And so praise, corporate praise and corporate worship is at the center of the kingdom life together. And something terrible gets lost when, when we don't do that. There's a power, a quality, an effectiveness that comes in, when, as the people of God enter into worship that we just don't get individually. Things happen. Things happen when we worship the Lord together that don't happen in other contexts. Let me just say what, what a couple of these are. First, probably the most fundamental thing is this. Uh, when we enter into the presence of God, transformation can take place in ways that are very rarely take place in, in other sorts of contexts. People are transformed because they can experience something they otherwise wouldn't experience, that presence of God. Here's what, here's what we're up against on, on this one. We, we tend to, as Western people, we tend to, those of us who are Western people, we, we tend to put a lot of of, of, of uh, importance on getting information. We're an information culture. I, I would even uh, suggest that we tend to be information idolaters. We, we tend to think that, that information can solve just about any problem. Any problem, you just got to read another book, go to another seminar, hear another sermon, get some more information, and you'll figure it out. We're figure it out sorts of people. And information can do a lot of good, and, and it, it is important. I'm not denying that. But one thing information alone can never do is change you, transform you. Something else has to happen if the information is going to actually have an impact in your life. You can know all the Bible verses in the world, and you can hear all the sermons in the world, and read all the books in the world, and go to all the seminars in the world, and unless it gets down into your heart, you're not going to be a changed person. This is why you can meet people who know the Bible backwards and forwards, but their life is totally out of sync with the Bible. Why? Because information alone doesn't equal transformation. Transformation happens not on the basis of what you know, but on the basis of what you experience, which changes how you see things, how you feel about things, and therefore how you live. I could have a PhD on, let's say, the beauty of God. I could know all there is to know about the beauty of God. Every verse in the Bible that addresses the beauty of God, reading all the books in the world on the beauty of God, but that wouldn't mean that I'm, my life is more beautiful because of that. Something else has to happen, and what else has to happen is, is, is it has to get into my heart. The elevator connecting my head to my heart has got to go up and down. Otherwise, it just gets stuck in my head. And when I am in a worship service with other folks who are praising God or celebrating God, and we're united, and so we've entered into his presence with singing, that is one of the main places, main contexts, where now people can begin to experience what they know. If I experience the beauty of God, if I can gaze upon his, the beauty of his face, if I sense that beauty all around me as I'm in the presence of the beautiful God, well, now what I know makes its way down into my heart, and that begins to change me. We get impacted when we encounter the living God, the beautiful God, when his presence is here. 
There's a world of difference between knowing about someone and actually experiencing them. It's the experience that changes us. Now, it's important to have the right information, but unless, it's, unless there's a context in which we can experience God, well, then, then it's just not going to change our lives very much. In, in a worship context, man, sometimes the Lord, the Holy Spirit can open the eyes of your understanding and you begin to experience what you know to be true and, and it impacts you. That's why often you find people who will cry during a worship service. It's because the stuff up here is getting down here and now they're, they're sensing the reality of that. I, I had a person uh, tell me last night that for the first three years they came to Woodland Hills Church, every worship service they just cried. Because, see, they knew that God was love, but, man, when you experience, when you experience the love, when you're in the presence of his love, well, now, see, now it's getting in there. It's getting on the inside. It's getting internalized. That's one of the main things that can happen when the people of God go into his presence with singing. I've heard of cases of people who surrendered their life to Jesus Christ in the worship service, not in response to something brilliant that I said. No, it was before the sermon ever happened. They were just in the... They sense a reality. They maybe didn't even know very much about God, Jesus, the Bible, or anything. But they sense a reality. They're coming in contact with the reality of the living God. And that speaks to their heart. And they just yielded to the Lord as best they understood him in that context. It's so important when we come together that we are united in our focus, in our commitment to lift him up with passion and truth because God inhabits the praises of his people. The relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, created the world such that everything operates better when done in unity with others. And God inhabits the praises of his people. And that's where transformation can take place. A second thing that can happen, that needs to happen when we come together, is spiritual warfare. When we praise and celebrate who God is and what he has done, we are, in that very act, doing spiritual warfare. So it says this in Psalms 100, I mean, Psalm 8. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. Through the praise of children and infants... You've established a stronghold, a fortress. Now, we know that those enemies are not other human beings, but principalities and powers and demonic forces. And what the author is saying here is that even praise is so important and praise is so powerful that even when little children do it, even when babies do it, it works. It establishes a stronghold against the enemies. Whatever else that tells you, it means this. You don't have to have a PhD to, do, to praise God and to enter into warfare. You don't have to be a mature Christian. You don't have to have, have, have all your act together, whatever. And you certainly don't need to be a good singer to do this. No, if you can go goo-goo and gaga, you qualify. <laughs> praise Him like the infants. Just make a, the Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. If you can grunt, it, it counts. And, and it, it establishes a stronghold. And I've heard some of you singing. It is a grunt, but praise God, it's a joyful grunt. And it's doing warfare. Amen. Amen. That's all it takes. It's not a performance. Establishes a fortress against the enemy. The reality is this, folks. We need this so badly. We live in a war zone. The world's been seized by destructive, anti-creational, evil forces. And we're in the middle of a war zone. We have a role to play in that. But it means that all week long, we're under, we're under the influence of polluting forces. Satan is called the principality and power of the air in Ephesians 2. And that's just a first century way of saying, when it comes to the spiritual atmosphere of the earth, he's the dominant influence. 
Which means we go all week long and we're under the influence of, of, of forces that are trying to get us to compromise our kingdom walk. Trying to plant seeds of bitterness and hatred in, in our life. Trying to tear apart families. Trying to confuse us and, and in other ways uh, get us off track on the kingdom. We're under that influence all the time. And we need to do all we can do individually to resist that throughout the week. Absolutely. We need to be practicing the presence of God, staying aware of God's presence. We need to be praying. Uh, we need to be in fellowship with other people. We need to be making kingdom choices. But there's something that happens when we come together that doesn't happen individually. Uh, the, the relational God created the world such that everything operates better in unity than it does individually, and God inhabits the praises of his people. And when we come together and begin to praise God with singing and grunts and goo-goo gaga, uh, we begin to lift him up. There is, we're pushing back the force of darkness. And sometimes it feels like, like you're taking a shower. Uh, you know, all week long you like take, acquire this muck and this mud and maybe you came to the service and you're discouraged and, and confused and distraught. But when you enter into God's presence, there's this cleansing that takes place. It's like washing all that muck off of you. And your spirit can get encouraged. Have you ever experienced this? And, and your face begins to look up. It's kind of like breathing fresh air after you've been in a smoke-filled room all week. When we together unite and worship God, we are, we're pushing back the forces of darkness. It's urgent that we do this for one another. And the third thing that can happen is healing. In life in this war zone, it's such that we take hits, all of us, on different levels. We get wounded whether it's emotional wounds or psychological wounds or spiritual wounds or physical wounds. In fact, some of us are born with, with hits. In fact, I think in different ways, all of us are born into this fallen war zone with, with, with hits. Uh, we take shots on, on various levels. In this war, war-torn world that we live in, nature itself has been corrupted. Even the laws of physics don't operate exactly as they're supposed to because they've been corrupted by the, the principalities and the powers. That's why sometimes people are born and, and parts of their bodies that we're supposed to see don't see and their legs don't work and, and, and there, cancer comes and sickness and disease comes and we age and, and, and we, we take hits. We're living in this war zone world. And part of God's design for the church, listen on this now, part of God's design for the church is to come against that. The kingdom is coming. And one of the roles of the church, you find this throughout the New Testament, is to advertise the coming kingdom by giving a slice of it now. So when the kingdom is fully come, when the earth is, is, is fully restored, there's not going to be any more cancer. And what God wants to do is therefore heal cancer now as an advertisement of the truth of who he is to advertise his power, but also advertise that a, a time is coming where this will be no more. That's why the Bible calls these miracles signs. There's signs, uh, forecast advertisements of this coming kingdom. Someday there'll be no more sickness, so we're supposed to be coming against sickness now, and God wants to heal sickness now. Someday there'll be no more deformities, so God wants us to come against deformities now and heal deformities now. Someday there'll be no more emotional scars, so we, in the power of God, are supposed to be coming against emotional scars now, and God wants to heal those emotional scars. Healing is the central role of the church. Now, I know there's a lot of flakiness around that out there. I, I got that, a lot of formula, a lot of magical thinking. And we got to stay away from that, but we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Healing is supposed to be happening among the people of God. And when we come into God's presence, and we sing our way into God's presence, and God takes that up as his address, there's no better time to see the power of God displayed than that. We're creating an environment 
where people can now be advertisements, become advertisements for the coming kingdom. God wants to put on display the truth of who he is and put on display his, his benevolent character. And so part of the spiritual warfare we do is to come against everything in life that's not consistent with his loving reign. And that's part of what worship does. This is why, folks, when we come together, you see, w- w- your choice to enter into worship isn't just about you. No, no, other things are at stake. Um, I, 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 got a, I got a picture when I was putting this message together, and I think it communicates this point very well. I saw a picture of a dam, and on one side of the dam, there's this water, uh, like a, this reservoir. On the other side of this dam, there's this parched land, like a desert. And we were all bricks, the bricks that made up that dam. But we each have a valve, which if we open it, the water will flow through and begin to water this parched land, and there'll be growth, and there'll be fruit and restoration. But if we don't open that valve, the water, we hinder the flow of that water. When we choose to worship God, we're opening a valve through which his presence comes, the Shekinah glory comes. We become conduits for his refreshing, restoring, transforming, healing power. Or if we don't do that, if we, just, if we just sort of aren't checked into it, now we're hindering the flow of that spirit. When we come together, we're either helping the flow or we're hindering the flow. And we don't expect non-believers to be conduits of the presence of God or even people who maybe are visiting and don't have an understanding around this. But those of us for whom this is our spiritual home and we come together for this purpose, it's so important that we make the choice to enter into focused, passionate worship. You get blessed by that for sure, but it's also for the sake of the person on the other side of the auditorium. When we come together, we may need to make the choice to worship for the person who's sick on the other side of the auditorium, for the person who's going through a marriage crisis, for the person who's maybe depressed and is, is feeling suicidal, for the person who just found out they have cancer, for the person who just got estranged from their children. We're worshiping on their behalf too, because as they come into the presence of God, healing can happen there. We're doing spiritual warfare for them, and transformation can happen. It's not just for you, it's, it's for the whole congregation. It's like an ant farm. We're here for one another. And, and the relational God has made things such that when we do things in unity with others, there's a power that there wouldn't otherwise be, and God inhabits the praises of his people. How crucial it is that when we come together, we make that choice. This is not an addendum or a prelude to why we come together. No, it's a central reason why we come together. Now, let me, let me end by just saying a word about how we do this. Worship is not like a, a Shakey's Pizza sing-along. It's not like a Mitch Miller sing-along. It certainly isn't like a concert. Worship becomes worship to the extent that we make a choice to put everything else out of our mind and focus on one thing, one person, and on him alone. Worship, the essence of it is ascribing worth to God, right? Ascribing worth to God. We're saying, God, here's what you're worth. And so we just say truth about him, his beauty and all of that. We're saying what you're worth. The main way we communicate what he's worth is by the attention we give him. And so it's crucial that we put all of the things out of our, our mind. And since God is worth everything, what worship is, we worship to this extent that we make the decision to pour all of our mind and all of our heart and all of our body and all of our strength and every breath we have into lifting him up. It's vital that we worship him as though this was the first and the last time we ever could worship him. The now is all important. And we ascribe worth to his name. That's when we become a valve that's opened and now the spirit of God can come down. The Shekinah glory can come down. God is glorified and people are, 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 are ministered to. It helps, it helps when we enter into worship if you, in your mind, envision who you're singing to and what you're singing about. Uh, David says in Psalms 27 that I long to dwell in the temple with God's people and worship the Lord. 
And gaze upon his beauty. Psalms 27. Gaze upon his beauty. Um, Now, he's not talking about a physical kind of seeing there. Because you don't physically see the beauty of the Lord. He's talking about a spiritual kind of seeing. It's a seeing in the mind. It's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. When, when Paul says that when someone turns to the Lord, the veil over our mind is removed. And now we can see something in our mind that we couldn't see before. It's what we today call our imagination. And the Holy Spirit works in that to help us envision the Lord and to concretely see and experience His beauty. And so as we enter into this time of worship, envision the Lord on the cross or on the throne or however the Holy Spirit gives you to envision Him. And know who you're singing to and what you're singing about. And, and that pulls you in and helps us to stay focused. So we're going to go into a time of, 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 of worship here. And we're also going to make it a time of healing. Because as we're inviting the kind of glory to come down, uh, it's a perfect context for healing to take place. I'll say more about that in, in a moment uh, as, as we go into this time. But worship involves all of our life. And so we're going to segue with this. It involves every aspect of our life. We ascribe worth to God by, by how we spend our time, by how we spend our money, by how we do everything. And so our first act of worship, and I'm going to call us to be focused on this, is going to be taking up an offering. And then I'll come up and share a few words about how the healing will take place after that. Father, I just right now, we together commit to focusing on you, envisioning you, lifting you up. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Surround us, envelop us. Let your Shekinah glory come in all of your glory and all your power and all of your beauty. And minister to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. now they'll be on the sides of the auditorium and up front here uh, some prayer teams and if you have taken a hit if there's wounds that you're going through whether they're physical psychological spiritual relational whatever I want to encourage you to 
as, as the rest of us are going to be focused on worship to come up and receive prayer for that. As I mentioned last week, uh, our prayer teams are all sworn to confidentiality, so you can share anything you want with them and you can know that it will go nowhere. But take advantage of this. For the rest of us, I encourage us to now become a valve through which the Spirit of God can flow. Don't be a hindrance, rather be, be, be a, a conduit. And focus on Jesus Christ and, 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 and envision what we're singing about. And pour your whole being into this. Why? Because God is worth it. You're reflecting God's worth by, by doing this. And the Holy Spirit will come. He is here already. And uh, in power and glory. So Holy Spirit, just come. If you want to stand uh, as you, as, as you uh, praise him, feel free to do that. If you want to sit, feel free to do that. If you want to kneel, uh, feel free to do that. If you want to come up here and kneel, as long as you don't get in the way of the prayer teams, come on up, however God leads you. But we just open ourselves up now to be valves and ask you, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit and Spirit and power. And the prayer teams are available. Spirit of the Worshippers are going to be uh, continue to worship, and uh, uh, our prayer teams will stay available as long as there are needs. And so, I encourage you, if God's doing something in your life, or you just want to bask in His presence, uh, to to stick around and do that. And the, the auditorium is uh, open; the altar is open for you to come and pray up here if if you'd like to do that. We're going to officially close the service, but that doesn't mean you have to leave. I want to remind you of uh, several announcements we made up front. Um, uh, one is that uh, we are coming to the season of giving, and if you want a list of the ministries that we're going to be highlighting, uh, you can pick that up at the Hub. Also, Project Home needs someone to stay overnight. Um, and if you're willing to sleep here uh, with these folks, um, uh, stop at the Hub and tell them that you're, you're open to doing that ministry. And finally, uh, this is the week to sign up for, the last week you can sign up for Undivided, uh, our small groups. Encourage everybody who doesn't have a small group to uh, join up with one of these groups and study this series that we're going to be going through. Father, we are awed by you. We stand in awe. You are beautiful beyond description. And God, we just delight in the fact that you inhabit the praises of your people. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be a people, Lord God, who always remember when we come together is to lift you up and to invite you in and to see you do your work and put your glory on display. And Lord, as we leave here, one by one, God, help us to do it, uh, carrying the aroma of the sweet Holy Spirit with us. To be a sweet-smelling fragrance wherever we go, whoever we come in contact with, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue to worship. You're dismissed.
Soar with you, your spirit leads me. 